Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. Anyway, last week I began a series on church culture. And I gave this illustration over here uh, that in viticulture, which is the culture that uh, does wineries and vineyards, and they create the wine, they will tell us that the container in which we put the wine will affect the way that we experience its taste. And so I, if I want the best flavor, I'm not going to drink it out of a sippy cup or a party cup. I'm not going to just take it out of this nice ornate thing that looks like it was a candle holder at one point. <laughs> I'm going to want a wine glass because I'm wanting to smell the aroma. I want to taste not just the initial taste. I want to taste what's behind it. I want to experience the robustness of the wine. And so I create or I drink it out of the container that's going to give me the best availability to do that. Same thing is with church. Many of you know that you've probably gone to a church and uh, you're going to share the same wine. The gospel is going to be in all of these things. You can go to a church that may look like this, but you're going to have the same wine. It's going to have the same uh, flavor. It's going to, you know, you're going to experience the gospels. But based on some of the ways that we worship, some of the ways that we teach, you're going to experience that wine differently. So what we want to do here at True North is we want to have the ability for you to experience the gospel to its fullest. We want you to have a robust faith that's not just singly focused on one thing. We want to give you the best. And so we've worked through and conversated about four areas. Last week, if you want to throw that up on the screen, this is our True North Compass. We have on our True North Compass, we are gospel-centered. And then we have to the Western Quadrant, we have Spirit-Filled. And to our eastern quadrant, we have practical spirituality. And to our southern quadrant, we have outward compassion. We are outwardly compassionate. All of these things we want to keep in tension. And so we want to be focused on the scriptures, but we also want to make sure that we're going out and we're loving people who are broken and needy. We also want to make sure that we're praying for people who are sick and are in distress and need spiritual help. And we want to have practical spirituality. We want to be able to have tools that will be able to help you along this journey so that, you know, you don't get lost in all of the other minutiae. So these are our four quadrants, gospel-centered, spirit-filled, practical spirituality, and outwardly compassionate. And tonight, I'm going to be talking about the area of spirit-filled. We want to be a spirit-filled church. So if you'll come with me you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to go to Acts chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 1. 
And for those of you who did not bring your Bibles, I'm going to have it on the screen right behind me. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It reads, While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. And Paul replied, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Then Paul went to the synagogues and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years, so the people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched, oh, sorry, forgive me, that merely touched his skin placed on sick people, they were healed of their disease and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews were traveling town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of Jesus in their cantation, saying, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? Then the, Lord, uh, then the man with the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from, house, uh, from the house, naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all throughout Ephesus, to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books were several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. I love this chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters. I, I don't say that lightly. I say everything's my favorite. So I'm going to actually say one of my favorites. Everything seems to be my favorite, so if you're my friend, you know that I'm an exaggerator. So this is one of my favorite passages. There are a few passages in the scripture that inspire me to imagine church, like Acts 19 does. When I was 16 years old, I experienced a call to ministry at a little Baptist camp. I had this moment where... Uh, the pastor was preaching a message, and I felt this inward tug to go and accept the call to be a pastor. And a year later, I, uh, I had a Pentecostal experience where I began to speak in tongues and had this moment. And I was open to the reality of, if that's real, then God actually does heal today. God actually must be doing these things today. And so instead of going to Biola, which my, was my first choice, 
I decided to go to a local, by, uh, local vocational ch- uh, school that was out of an Assemblies of God church. And my first class was Acts of the Apostles. And I loved it. It was my favorite class. To this day, it's my favorite class of all time because they would tell us right off the bat, hey, guys, when we read the book of Acts, we're not just thinking of it as history. We're not just reading the text as though it's a uh, a historical account. We can take the principles of the passages and actually say, God does this still. God wants to do these things. And so as we began to read in our class, we also would pray for one another to be filled with the Spirit. And many people got hit with the Lord during that class. Jonathan, you were in that class with me, right? That was an amazing class. <laughs> He's giving me the thumbs up. He's behind the camera. So uh, unfortunately, he can't testify to all things verbally. <laughs> but we saw a lot of healings in that class. We saw a lot of healings because we wanted to pray for people. And when we came to Acts chapter 19... This chapter has just been with me for 20 years. When this chapter comes up, I think of these 12 guys who are just waiting for the gospel. They're they're disciples of John the Baptist. And when Paul shows up, he's like, what baptism did you receive? I received John's baptism. Okay. You need to receive Jesus' baptism. I think that was kind of me. You know what I mean? Like all of us who are baptized, we go underneath the water and we repent of our sin. But there's something that we're not aware of. Now, I I don't want to say that we don't get the Spirit when we accept Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But something came alive and I awoke to this reality that God is doing more today and wants to do more through you. And so I was so excited about this. And then the story progresses where people en masse come to Jesus. They sit in a little tiny, like, lecture hall. And for two years, Paul is teaching about the Scriptures. He's teaching about Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what he's doing. But we can surmise that he's likely doing what the philosophers were doing. He was bringing people in and teaching them his way of thinking. And he's probably teaching them how to pray for the sick. And he's probably teaching them how to take the gospel out. And then we see crazy miracles happen. People are healed. They just take his sweat cloth. He's, he's drenched with sweat and they're taking these sweat rags. And it's weird. It's a weird story. But they begin to place it on sick people and people who are tormented emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And they're set free. And then you have some really weird stuff where the name of Jesus is so well known that even non-believers are trying to use the name. And that doesn't work out too well. But it ends with this, is that because the Spirit comes on Paul and the disciples, one, many people throw away their old life. They throw away their pagan lifestyle. They throw away their spell books. They don't want any of that part of their life to remain. It says they repent and give up their sinful practices. And they turn to the Lord. And it says that the word of the Lord, because it was there, went out and reached out to all of Asia Minor 
during the two years. The gospel went out of Ephesus and spread to an entire region. People took what Paul was doing, and it wasn't just Paul. It had to be these guys who took Paul's language and took them to town after town after town. This is how we get the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians came out of Ephesus. Paul says he never went to Colossae. It was a disciple who went to Colossae, likely from Ephesus. We have town after town after town reached for Jesus because of what happened here. And I can't help but pray that this is what happens with us. This is what I want to see. Now, mind you, I can't manipulate God. I can't manipulate him to say, hey, bring me a revival. Please come, break through, do all these things. I can't manipulate God to do these things. That's a sovereign action of the Lord to come and bring revival. It's a sovereign action of the Lord to come and soften the hearts of people and bring them to himself. But there are some things that I can do, some things that you can do, that are going to prepare for God to move in our lives. I'm going to share with you two principles tonight, and we'll talk about this for the rest of the evening. Two principles that will prepare us to be a spirit-filled church. First principle of being a spirit-filled church is that God wants to have a dynamic relationship with you. And the second principle is that God wants to have a dynamic relationship with others through you. So let's tackle that first conversation. First thing that I want to say tonight is that God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. And this relationship is not a static one. It's not a relationship where you just say a prayer and you get to go to a destination. That's not what you sign up for. What you sign up for is a lifelong commitment that the Lord is going to be faithful to you and you are going to be faithful to the Lord. And his desire is that he wants to fill you. So in this process of our relationship with the Lord, when you accept him, when you walk through, there's a process that he will fill you with his spirit. Now, this might be dramatic like the Ephesians. This might be very dramatic where you have a moment where you speak in tongues, where you prophesy, or it might be this moment of just deep peace that rushes over you, where you have this deep joy that comes into your life. However the way the Lord fills you, and in whatever timing he fills you, it is to make you a part of him. He wants to connect with you, and he wants to bring you from this person that you are now, and he wants to shape and transform you. We call this transformation being filled with the Spirit. Now, as we go through life, here's the bad news. You and I still struggle with sin. We live in a world where you and I have been set free, we've been made new, but we have exterior things that happen. We still have an inward proclivity to sin. And so when we 
struggle with our sin or when we give in to our temptation or when we fear or when we struggle with life's stuff or we get distracted by pleasure we become empty What God gave us runs dry because of our human brokenness. When he gives us his spirit, sometimes we don't manage that well. But God is faithful and always wants to fill you again. Being filled with the spirit is a command by the Lord. He understands that we're going to struggle. He understands that we're still in a broken world. He understands that you're not gonna live this spiritual life 100% all the time. But what he is saying is, you must pursue me. And when you pursue me, I am faithful to fill you up. This is what the Apostle James says. He says this in in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. We live in a broken world. We are tempted on all sides. We're tempted by distractions. We're tempted by really bad things. And yet we are to resist these things Because we want to have a relationship with the Lord. And as we pursue the Lord, he begins to come right back in. And he comes close to you. He comes right back into your life. He begins to fill you back up. The Apostle Paul says this, Do not be drunk with wine, because that which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. See, God wants us to pursue Him, and He wants us to ask for His Spirit. And in our pursuit, He meets us. He gives us His peace. He gives us His love, and we experience the depth of God's heart for us. Next week, I'm going to be talking about seven practical ways for us to engage with the Lord. But tonight, I'm going to give you three things that you can do this week and for the rest of your life that will help you be filled with the Spirit. The first one that I want to point out is heart posture. The psalmist writes in Psalms 103, he says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise His holy name. It's about our hearts wanting him. I've been trying to practice this for a little while now. When I wake up in the morning and I get in my car because I drive to work every morning, I want to set my heart on the Lord. So what I'll do is I'll throw on a Spotify playlist of worship and I will say this one thing and I'll say, Jesus, I set my affection on you today. I want my day to start with me setting my heart on him because I don't want to miss him. 
I don't want to miss out on that intimate connection. Am I perfect with this? No, I'm not. And neither will you. But I promise when you do, you're going to experience something more of God than you would if you didn't. The second one is through music. The prophet Elisha in the Old Testament. The prophet, the, uh, prophet Elisha in the Old Testament was tasked to go and prophesy to this king. And so he gets to the king's palace, he comes into the court, and he says, bring me an instrumentalist. Bring me a musician. So they bring in the harpist who plays, and Elisha just worships. And it says that while the harpist played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. This is why we sing at church. This is why when we come together, we have a song service. That's because when we lift our hands and we lift our voices, no matter how off tune you might be, the Lord doesn't hear how broken your voice is. He sees the posture of your heart. He longs to fill you, no matter how crappy your voice might be. <laughs> and I speak from experience. <laughs> the last way to be filled by the Spirit is through prayer. And you had already, and Jesse had already kind of stole my verse, but I'm going to say it anyway. Jesus speaks in Luke chapter 11. He says, And so I tell you, and so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if, you're sin, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So three ways this week that will help you. Three techniques, three helping hands. Heart posture. The Lord just wants to see that your heart's after him. Resist evil. Humble yourself. Resist evil. Draw close to God. And God will draw close to you. Worship. Praise him. Throw on some Spotify. Throw on YouTube. Whatever thing that you use for worship, throw it on and sing. Sing in your shower. Sing in your car. Sing away from your children so you don't break their eardrums. But do it. And lastly, keep praying for God to fill you. Keep praying that God will give you what he promises to give you, which is himself, his spirit. And as you do those things, you will find he will continue to fill you up and you will have a robust, powerful relationship with him. which leads to my second point. And the second principle of being spirit-filled church is that God wants to have a dynamic relationship with others through you. So when we're filled with the Spirit, God is more apt to use you because you're connected to Him. God is more apt to be able to use you 
when you're filled with him and sensitive to his direction. Because now you're hearing his voice. Now you're connected to him emotionally and, and mentally and spiritually. You're now able to connect with God. And now that allows you to be sensitive to the needs of others. It allows you now to minister to people. Now, this is demonstrated the most in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus is going up into heaven. He's on the day of the day, uh, 10 days before Pentecost. And he says to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you and I have been given the Spirit to have a task. One of it is connection with the Lord, but another is to bring others out of their brokenness and to experience God. Jesus demonstrates this perfectly. Jesus is our model. So when we look at Jesus, we can say, okay, we need to follow his direction. And this is how Jesus, this is how Paul, sorry, this is how Peter describes Jesus. He says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. When Jesus was filled with the Spirit on earth, he is God, but he emptied himself to become human. And so he self-imposes a restriction not to act as God in this world, but to be filled with the Spirit, to model what it is for us to follow after him. And so he's filled with the Spirit, and he begins to heal the sick. He begins to cast off demons. He begins to love people well. He begins to interact with people, and the Spirit comes upon him to set people free, to draw him to himself. And then he gives his power to his disciples, We see this in Luke 9. He says, One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So Jesus is modeling it. He takes his disciples and he says, You guys are going to do what I do. And then he takes it one step further. When Jesus dies and resurrects, Jesus says this to his disciples in Mark chapter 16. It says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They'll be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. We are awakened to a new reality. When the Spirit comes into your life, it's not just to make you feel good. It's not just good. It's not just enough to make you feel connected to the Lord. He's given you a mission. He's given you a task. He's given you gifts to reach people It's like when you receive the Spirit, you're immediately supposed to give the Spirit away. You're given the Spirit so that others can have that same relationship that you have. It's a dynamic one. He transforms you. He builds you up. And in the process, he tells you to go. 
And that process begins with somebody else. They start broken. They get healed. They get set free. They become a disciple. They become someone that is dynamically changed and transformed. This is how this works. You have been meant, you have been called into a family to make more of a family. We are one sovereign move away from God doing a miracle. You are one sovereign move away from seeing God do a miracle in somebody's life. When you're talking with someone and you see someone sick or you are with someone and you feel that nudge, you are one moment away from God being able to interact with that person. Taking that risk, taking that faith, doing it, and praying for that person. And God may heal them, he may not. That's God's sovereign act to heal and to do. But you're just one risk away from God doing that for someone. You're just one action away from seeing God transform a life. And God can use you to heal. He can use you to cast out demons. He can use you to speak into someone's life. He can use you with the power of the Spirit to counsel someone and to transform them. You are one sovereign move of God away from impacting someone forever. So, a spirit-filled church is one that has a dynamic relationship with God and brings others into a dynamic relationship with God. To be filled with the Spirit means that we have access to this relationship. And this filling of the Spirit will lead you to minister to your friends, families, neighbors, co-workers, and so forth. You will be filled with the gifts of the Spirit to minister God's love and mercy to people. And this filling of the Spirit has the ability to impact all of Traverse City. Amen. Has the ability to impact Kalkaska and Mancelona and Kingsley. Has the ability to impact everything. And it is a sovereign move. This is God who has to act. The question I ask is, will you be the one that says, God, would you use me? Because I want to see a move of God in my life. I want to see a move in your life. I want to see a move of God in our area. It is my dream that all of northern Michigan experiences the kingdom of God and power. That's what we want. That's where we're going. That's what I believe God's going to do. But we're going to ask and continue to ask God to move. But the way we can prepare is to be filled with the Spirit. We are one sovereign move moment away from impacting our city. And you are one sovereign move away from being used by God. I can have our ministry team come up. Tonight, wherever you are in this spectrum, if you've experienced God in a real and powerful way,
or if you've never experienced God in this way, God wants to pour out his spirit on you. This is his promise. This is his gift. If you ask, he will give. A good father gives gifts, and that gift chiefly is the gift of the Holy Spirit. God wants to pour out his spirit on you. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to just play one more song. And in this time, you can take a moment to reflect and ask the Spirit to come. And we're going to have some prayer team members up here at the front who, if you need to walk through and ask for God, uh, if you just need help with uh, somebody else who wants to, let me say it this way, sorry, my bad. There is a powerful thing when it comes to laying on of hands. There is something very powerful that when someone lays their hands on you, God recognizes that. And I would encourage you, if you feel like you have been distant from the Lord, if you feel like you haven't experienced God in a real powerful way, to come forward and let them lay their hands on you and experience the presence of God. But I'm going to have us all stand. And you can take that moment with the Lord. And afterwards, you are blessed. You can have a wonderful evening, and you have a wonderful week. I'm going to bless you, and then we're going to sing. So, Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for what you're doing in this place. I ask a blessing that you would fill your people with your spirit tonight, that they would experience your joy and your peace and your power. Would you impact them forevermore? In Jesus' name, bless you. Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard Podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website at vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.